your Bibles, please. We have a wonderful uh, opportunity to read about, it's a roughly 2,500-year-old literature that happens to be amazingly current in the book of Zechariah. And we're going to be looking at uh, an entire chapter today, chapter number three together. We're studying this this. It's called a minor prophet in the Bible. There's major prophets and there's minor prophets. And the only difference is the length of the book. If it's a major prophet, it's really long. (laughs) If it's a minor prophet, it's somewhat shorter. And actually, Zechariah is one of the uh, longer minor prophets. And it's written at a time of national disenchantment you might say uh, disillusionment perhaps they ha- the whole people of Israel had been in exile uh, they had been deported and oppressed a horrible tragic thing ha- had occurred in their history where in 586 the Babylonians came into um, the nation of Israel, they'd, they'd actually been coming in earlier and it was, they were harassing them and causing them terrible issues. And it would be similar to if a foreign nation was, you know, breaking into our cities and taking 30 or 40 percent of the people out of the city. And then in, finally in 586 it would be similar to a foreign nation invading the United States of America and like burning down Washington, D.C., crushing it, taking it apart, no more capital, no more Supreme Court, dirt, gone. And that had happened uh, roughly 70 years ago from the time of this book, 70, probably maybe 80, 90 years ago. Um, And then they'd been restored, amazingly, they got to go back to Washington, (laughs) D.C., you know, their own capital. They got to go back and start to rebuild. And particularly, of course, the, the centerpiece of the rebuilding was the temple. Uh, not, you know, not some silly government building or some silly, amazing Supreme Court or the Library of Congress, nothing like that. They came back to build the temple of God. And they got a start on it. And things absolutely slowed down. There was opposition there was discouragement and so the book of Zechariah many of you already know this it's written about 18 20 years after that there'd been this foundation for the temple and nothing more had happened so they were they were discouraged and so God sends a prophet to encourage them to raise their sights to get them out of this circumstance that you know under the circumstances I'm very depressed Uh, well what are you doing under there you know get out from under there and have a higher view look beyond the here and now Uh, if you are a believer you believe in the power of God and so that's what this book is largely about and today's vision is actually so beautiful and so wonderful I feel sorry for anybody who doesn't get Zechariah chapter 3 uh, and let us pray first. Father, it's been a wonderful time to meet together today already. We've been able to sing glorious gospel songs that 
just start with the reality that we we uh, have failed and we are sinners and you have provided massive full gracious salvation for us through Jesus Christ through his death for our sins through his taking your own anger God on yourself in the cross and having him bear the punishment the wrath and and then to bear it effectively and to be buried and to rise again in victory to show that that issue is completely paid for completely solved through the power through the love through the amazing plan of you O God so we praise you for this time together uh, all of the parts we praise you for the children we've emphasized the babies we've dedicated the children who led us in uh, a reminder of your precious word and your your nature as holy 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 uh, so thank you thank you father receive our gratitude for this opportunity to meet together and fill our hearts with with irrepressible joy oh lord i pray that we will love you and enjoy you uh, on this day through christ we ask open your word to us amen so allow me to read the text. It's not too long, and which is perfect. We don't have a long time slot today. It's only ten verses. And here's how it goes. Then, these are visions he had all in one night. And we're, we're on to, I think it's the, anyway, fourth or fifth vision. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Now, we've established earlier that the angel of the Lord is actually the Lord himself. Uh, probably, there's a lot of trinity in this Hebrew text. Uh, there's, there's father and there's son. The angel of the Lord is, is the Lord. He is Yahweh. And he's more than likely the son of God uh, who would later be born as Jesus. Anyway, so that, it's important for this text. Uh, so the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now, Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access 
among those who are standing here. Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are a sign. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. The Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Now here's a pretty dramatic vision. Um, it starts out with this image of the high priest whose name was Joshua. He's going to appear later on in, in other stories in the book of Zechariah. So we're get, getting to know him right now. And look what it says in verse 1. He, he's standing before the angel of the Lord. And yet, right beside him is this individual called Satan, who is there to accuse him. Now, last week, our associate pastor Jeremy started us out with this verse, remember? And uh, I commented on it in my sermon, and then we actually got into it a little bit at men's breakfast as well. Uh, listen to this word of God. This is describing what it means to be a Christian. This is your new identity if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen race. I, I just love that. Because Christianity supersedes racial divisions. We're all one race. I don't care the color of your skin or even your cultural background. We're, we're one new race. It's pretty exciting. A chosen race at that. God has made us his. He's elected us before the foundation of the world. Uh, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. This is you, if you're a believer. You have royalty. By the way, later, this is going to really come into the book of Zechariah, the whole concept of a, a priest and a throne. It's the uniting of church and state. <laughs> But ultimately, ultimately, with God's power, that's a really, really, really good thing. Because who is the king of kings? And who, who is the great high priest? Christ. Christ is ultimately the super connection of what we would call church and state. Uh, we can't have that now because men are so broken. Too much power connected with one group or one individual. Absolutely. That's actually probably learned in the Protestant Reformation uh, pretty well as well. But <laughs> this is our identity. You are a royal. Uh, the Greek word is basileia. means king. You're a kingly priesthood as, as the church. We're a holy nation. Again, supersedes nationality. We're a new nation. A people for his own possession that you may proclaim. This is our duty. To get used to proclaiming the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So that's why God saved you, to become an expert at Jesus. 
and to know his excellencies, to be, what's that word? When you take a tea bag and you put it in hot water, is it steeping? Steep, right? You know, meaning all the flavor of the tea goes into the hot water. And we should know Jesus well steeped in who he is. So, So we can what? Proclaim his excellencies. You know, I, life is amazing. God has created this fantastic thing called life. Everything about it is excellent, in my opinion. Uh, Frank here is our man of the, the oceans, right? The, the oceans are just unbelievable. I mean, the fish, you know, the complexity, you know, they all, name it. It blows you away. It's unbelievable. You take a starfish, right? You cut it in half, throw it becomes two starfish. <laughs> uh, one day, uh, I haven't done this enough, I'd like to do it more, but he, we went out fishing, uh, Frank and I and uh, somebody else, a couple other guys. And uh, we were cruising along, and there was like, um, this is a terrible story. <laughs> there was some kind of a mammal, like some sort of, uh, who knows what, seal or otter or whatever, and we were cruising along, and then there was this... <laughs> And uh, Frank said, um, I, I, think, I think that was a, a killer whale, an orca that gra- grabbed lunch there. <laughs> you know, it, it's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it's amazing. Where was I going with that? I'm just saying that, that God's creation is phenomenal, right? Well, God himself, guess what, is better than his creation. And he has, he's filled with excellencies. And we should be people who are just pumped ready to declare, proclaim these excellencies. But here we have a Christian man, let's just say Joshua. He's not a Christian. It's anachronistic. But allow me that. Let's pretend he's part, he's part of us. And he's there, ready to worship God. The Lord is there. He's excited about it. He presents himself and then right next to him is Satan. And that's the Hebrew word. That's Hebrew. Satan. Satan. That's how it's pronounced. That's where we get our English word Satan. Satan. Satan is there. And th- this word means the adversary. He's got an enemy right there in the courts of heaven. Now this isn't unusual because we found that out in Job. Uh, in the book of Job, Satan comes in and starts accusing Job of unrighteousness. Now, let me ask you this question. If Satan is this accuser, he's pointing the finger at us, accusing us, are his accusations right? Yes. He's, he's got us. Guilty. Uh, we're, we're proud of all our kids. We have uh, fantastic children. And one of our kids is doing some good things too. And he's a, he's a federal prosecutor uh, in the Southern District of New York. He's an assistant U.S. attorney. And uh, my dear wife got to go to his first jury trial a few weeks ago. She got to, what, what mother gets to do that? You know, it's so cool. Because she was there to help with the babysitting because Audrey was off doing something else, the wife. Uh, anyway. She got to go to this trial that my son is the main prosecutor for. And the, the crazy thing about this trial is it should have never come to trial. It's like, why did this go to trial? It was about a bank robber, 
and the federal government had just unbelievable evidence that he was the guy who did it. They had, they had video. He had these no- notes, you know, he'd pass them to the teller, and the, his fingerprints are all over it, his old DNA all over it, and he, he'd turn it over and he wrote on the back, this is the note I used at Southern Judge a Bank when I, you know, when I robbed the bank. They, they got into his house. He had, a, he had a bag, the money bag, with a dye all over it. And I think there was a handgun with dye all over it. You know, those, they, they explode the dye onto the, the bills. So it was a... It, all the accusations that the U.S. federal government brought against this guy were true. By the way, he was found guilty. Um, we won the trial. Um, but this is like for us with Satan... He accuses us of wrong, and he's right. We are wrong. And so what does this text say? Let's look at the text here. I love this. It says, This is the angel of the Lord, whom, believe me, the text proves this is God himself. He speaks to God. Again, I said there's an implied trinity there. What does he say? Verse 2, The Lord, Yahweh, said to Satan, Yahweh rebuke you, O Satan. By the way, there's a good piece of advice. Don't you go around trying to rebuke Satan on your own. You call on the power of the Almighty God. Because Satan is more powerful than my skinny little person, right? And I'm not that skinny. But uh, you got the point. I, I, I don't depend on me. I depend on the Lord God. It is super powerful uh, that the the angel of the Lord comes in and he himself depends on God. He says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. I'm a guy who loves tools. Like, all kinds of tools. I have like a power, a power planer. And it makes this kind of whiny noise and you run it over wood and it just, it just eats the wood up. It's so, it just does the job. I like big tools like this. This happens to be a Caterpillar D9. I'll never own one, nor will they ever trust me to drive one. <laughs> but it's one of the biggest Caterpillars, okay? It's huge. This kind of thing would come, and it, let's say he drove up on our front yard. He would just drive right through the whole building, just like nothing happened. Unbelievable power. Well, that's the power of God, <laughs> He blows Satan away. You step down, accuser. I'm more powerful than you, and I have something to do here. Look what he says. The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord has chosen Jerusalem. I've chosen to save these rascals. That's why they're saved, because of my action in their lives. I've chosen Jerusalem The Lord rebuke you who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now, I was raised in the church by God's grace. And I used to hear this every once in a while. A brand plucked from the fire. And I never knew what it meant. (laughs) It's kind of a weird expression if you don't really kind of think about it. But what he's saying is this. Here's Joshua. Standing there. You're right, Satan. He's a sinner. He doesn't deserve to come to God. Uh, But I've chosen him. And I've snatched him from the judgment. He was on fire. 
He rightfully was being condemned for his sin. He was in exile in Babylon. That was no mistake. They deserved that. But I've plucked him from the fire. And look at him. He's got the curse all over him. He's, he's got the effects of God's judgment it's still there. He needs restoration. He needs big time help, you understand. But he, he is a brand. I have plucked him from the fire. He's no longer, there is no, now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We're taken from condemnation. The Bible says this, if you are not in Christ, you're condemned already. I'm not, I'm not overstating that. That's what the word of God says. If you haven't placed your faith in Christ, you're damned. You're condemned eternally. You need him to reach his hand into that fire and pluck you from the fire. And what's your part in that is say, Lord, save me. I call on you. I am a sinner. I need your help now. I'm, I'm, I'm burning in the judgment I deserve. That's all in this brand. Plucked from the fire. Look, look at the text here. Is, is not this a brand brand just means a flaming stick I, I couldn't really find a good picture of a flaming stick so I, I want the, the flames are extinguished on mine uh, of, of plucked from the fire now look at verse 3 now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed in filthy garments he came before God with what his own filth his own failure he, he needs divine intervention he needs somebody to step in. And here's this beautiful gospel word here in verse 4. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to whom he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity. Look at that word, iniquity. There's this grave injustice happening to humanity. And it's to remove words like iniquity. To remove the word sin. You're not a sinner. You're not filthy with iniquity. No, you're misunderstood. And probably it's your mother's fault. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm giggling, but that's primarily the message. You're, you are sick. You have a chemical imbalance. All of that is not true. What the truth is, you, we are sinners. We're filled with iniquity. We need it supernaturally removed we need divine intervention we need someone to pay the debt we could never pay and, and that's what we see here the angel of the Lord takes care of this debt um, verse 4 again behold I have taken your iniquity away from you and I will clothe you with pure vestments we're not going to be able to mine all the wonders in this text but Go down to verse 10, verse 9, forgive me. Uh, I will remove the iniquity, same word, uh, of course, of this land in a single day. See, this is what we believe salvation is. Salvation is not something I work on, work on, work on, work on, work on, and hope, hopefully by the end of some period of time, God will look on it and say, well, you know, by goodness, you're almost there. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, 
No, it's like I bring a bag of filth into the equation and he forgives me by the powerful blood of Christ. That's salvation. All, hallelujah, all I have is what? Christ. You know, that's why we say, hallelujah. That's it, lift it up. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. That's it. Praise God, it's done. He saves us to the uttermost. Hallelujah. That's the gospel. It's not gospel to say, no, you don't have any iniquity. Your, your problem is you're misunderstood. No, your problem is you're guilty. You, here's the good news. Here's the awesome good news. I can repent of sin. I can't repent of being sick. It's terrible to tell somebody your life problem is you're sick. That's not, you can't repent of that, can you? No, but you can repent. You can grow and learn. That's why we're still here, how to overcome sin. And you know, God help us. We, uh, we, I have a long ways to go. So he, he goes from uh, these filthy garments to these priestly garments. Behold, I have taken away your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you. I will clothe you with pure, pure vestments. Here's a long verse. I put it up on the screen for you. Listen to the word of God. Isaiah 61.10 I will show slight pleasure on my face occasionally. No. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. That's salvation. God has given us the garments of salvation. Here's just a few other things to think about. I love this verse from Micah. It says, You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Satan keeps coming back and saying, you're guilty, you're guilty, you did that. Ten years ago that happened, two years ago that happened. You're guilty. And you say, you're, you're right, I am. <laughs> but I'm forgiven by the powerful blood of Christ. And, and, and God takes it and throws it into the deepest sea. One of our songs said, a sea that has no bottom. That's kind of cool. But even if he threw it into this sea, it's pretty well lost and gone forever, you know. The deepest part of the sea is like six miles deep very by the Mariana Trench out by Guam. There's this really low, low spot. Um, and it's just a metaphor to say, it's gone! It is gone! Our sins are forgiven. They are gone. Um, I want to read an old quote. Uh, forgive me for... Uh, that if I need to be forgiven. Uh, this is from an old Lutheran guy on, on Reformation Sunday, Theodore Kleefoth, uh, who died in 1895. I read this because it shows we have, we have the faith that has been the faith of the church throughout the generations. We, we share ancient and wonderful truth. And here's, here's his description of this situation. This guilt of the nation, which 
neutralized the priestliness and holiness of Israel is pleaded by Satan in the accusation which he brings before the angel of the Lord against the high priest who was its representative. A nation so guilty, and it's a nation, it's a people, it's individual, a nation so guilty and so punished could no longer be the holy and priestly nation. Its priests could no longer be priests, nor could its high priests be high priests anymore. But the angel of the Lord sweeps away the accusation with the assurance that Yahweh, from his grace and for the sake of its election, will still give validity to Israel's priesthood and has already practically manifested this purpose of his by bringing it out of its punishment in exile. The brand plucked from the fire. Look, I'm saving him. He's still got the marks of sin, but we're going to clothe him in righteousness. And he comes worthy through Christ to worship and to praise me. Now, in our final uh, 27 minutes, uh, (laughs) I'm only kidding. I'll be really brief. I heard the whistle. Uh, They rang it early today. I don't know why. (laughs) Uh, Real quick, though, this is super important. The next slide is salvation calls us to obedience. Okay? Look at what he says here. I've saved you. I'm doing all the work. But what does that leave for us? Does that mean we do nothing at all? No. It says, verse 7, Thus says the Lord of hosts, this almighty God, he says, If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access. That's a cool idea. We have access through Jesus Christ, our Savior, but it's as we are obedient believers uh, that the obedience demonstrates our true salvation. Again, sad part in probably current theology the last hundred years, sort of dividing this idea that you can be totally saved and not live for God at all. And that's just terrible. It's a bad idea, not true. We're called to obedience. If we have the marks of salvation in our life, then we will have access. Uh, one of my favorite metaphors is the, you know, Google Lazy Boy recliner, right? Boom. You know, that thing is a wonderful thing. I have one at home. <laughs> and, and, you know, when you sit in it, the chores don't seem that important. Like if you're, <laughs> you know, really, you can get to it later, right? Just get to I, I wonder how many lives are ruined by a, a Lazy Boy, you know? I don't know. But that's, it's, that's not what salvation is. But yes, it's all the work of God. And he says, rest in me. But then he says, get to work. <laughs> work for me. Serve me. Because you love me. Because you realize the debt I paid for your salvation. You're motivated to worship him. We're living sacrifices to him. So this is it. No. No lazy boy recliner. That's not a metaphor of salvation at all. Well, I'm going to just say, we'll get back to this next part later on. I don't have enough time to expound on it. Uh, let me, I'll summarize, go to the last page. Uh, these are some, what is the point? You, you hollered, waved your arms a lot up there. But what were you really trying to say? Well, this is what we got to today. In our natural condition, we are completely unfit to worship God. We're all dressed in filthy clothes. 
That's our reality. And only Jesus Christ can save us from this. And when he saves us, he asks us to obey him. We should know and worship him. And our future is promised to be wonderful. We'll pick up some of that uh, if God gives us another opportunity. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that as we come before you, Satan's there. And yet you rebuke him, Lord. Please rebuke him for us. In the name of the Lord, may his accusations be turned back by the righteousness of Jesus Christ alone. Fill us with confidence in our salvation in Christ alone. Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Oh, Father, may that be our testimony. We pray that for us in this room. We pray that for our children, oh Lord, as we lovingly hand it down to them, our grandchildren, great-grandchildren, oh Father. And use us, oh Lord, to be those people who are proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.